From WXXI News, this is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Unleashed is our monthly show where we discuss news and current issues impacting animals, including some news out of Albany this week. We're going to hear about a proposed bill that would make it a felony to kill or cause serious physical injury to police, work dogs, and horses. And then some news closer to home. Two local fire departments are training crews on how to use new equipment that would help save the lives of pets that are victims of smoke inhalation. We'll talk to the assistant chief of the Warsaw Fire Department about pet oxygen mask kits. But first, Dr. John Sampson from Greece Animal Hospital and Rebecca Lonas, who is a behavior and training manager at Lollipop Farm, the Humane Society of Greater Rochester, are in studio. They're here to answer your questions about your pet's health and behavior. The toll-free number to call now is 844-295-TALK. It's 844-295-8255. Or if you're in Rochester, 263-WXXI. That's 263-9994. You can also tweet your questions to the hashtag Unleashed or to our producer, Megan Mack. She's on Twitter at mmacmedia. Rebecca and Dr. Sampson, thank you for both for joining us today. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's great to have both of you. And, you know, John, with the weather finally changing, we're, we always like to ask our guests, you know, what are the most common issues you're seeing right now? So right now, what's at the top of the list for you? Top of the list is uh, tick prevention, uh, just because the tick population is very, very high right now. So it's very important to be on that. Okay. And usually when you see them, uh, you know, they kind of embedded in the skin? Are you digging them out? Or have the owners tried? You know, what's the usually, the, or do the owners not realize what it is? They might not realize what it is. It uh, can be like, oh, there's a little mass on our dog type mm. thing, but a lot of people will notice what it is, and it's a matter of making sure you get the head out as well. So um, it's either give us a call, we'll definitely take it out for you, or, um, you know, look up an instructional video just to make sure you get the head out. And Rebecca, when when we hear from listeners during Unleash, we often hear, you know, Pet behavior questions, habits, hard habits to break. What are the most, you know, sort of common questions and popular issues you get on when it comes to those uh, habits and training issues? So this time of year, I would say that we get a lot of questions about walking dogs on leash because a lot of people have been a little bit lax about that over the Rochester winter. Um, and they're sort of dusting their leashes off and everyone's doing it at the same time. So we get a lot of dogs who haven't been walked in a while, seeing a lot of other dogs who haven't been walked in a while. So that can lead to some issues with on-leash reactivity to other dogs. And, and again, best thing to do with that? Best thing to do is to get in touch with a trainer <laughs> to help you with that issue if it's pretty extreme. Um, if not, you can really just work on rewarding the dog when they stay calm, when they see other dogs. So bring some really good food with you on a walk. And when they see another dog, that can equal a treat if they don't bark or pull towards the other dog. You big on positive reinforcement? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, listeners, uh, we've got a pile of your questions that have come in online via email. And so um, before the phone starts ringing, we're just going to kind of work through some of our listener questions. But again, it's 844 talk if you want to call him with your questions. So here's John in Rochester, uh, a different John. I don't think it's John <laughs> Sampson. He says his puppy won't listen to commands at all when he's in the middle of being naughty. And John says it's like all of a sudden we disappear and he completely ignores us. Rebecca, any thoughts for him on, uh, on this? Yeah, so that's really common. And when a dog isn't listening to the cues that you're giving them, it means that they don't know them well enough in that circumstance to follow those cues. So what they probably need to do is focus on teaching the cues in a lower distraction environment and then work up to reinforcing the cues in that higher distraction environment when the puppy's being naughty. I think it's funny that probably is being naughty, doing something else, too, that he doesn't want the puppy to do. So focus on what can we teach the puppy to do in that circumstance 
instead of the naughty behavior versus just stopping the naughty behavior. And you can't just train when there's a crisis. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit every day, five to 15 minutes a day. John adds that uh, the puppy is also a counter surfer. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a really, yeah. How do we prevent counter surfing? That's a really common issue. Um, the biggest thing there is management. So keep really clean counters and eventually they'll stop trying to get up there. But if they get a bite of pot roast once a year, that's like winning the lottery. So they're going to keep <laughs> buying the ticket of jumping up on the counter to try to get that food. Oh, boy. That is a great way to describe <laughs> it. Uh, John, good luck to you. Here's Scott in Greece. He says, I have an 11 year old. Uh, puppy, I think 11-year-old, well, you know, you can call him puppy, I guess. I have an 11-year-old puppy that keeps getting mites in his ears, and my vet prescribed drops three times. The issue clears up temporarily, but then comes back. Is there anything stronger I should consider, Dr. Sampson? No, it's all a matter what the medication was, and if there's any underlying issue at home, are there mites being, you know, are there other animals at home that could be carrying them? So you could have a subclinical carrier with a cat or another dog that isn't showing any clinical signs, but the one that is is the only one being treated. So you just get reinfected every time. Okay. Um, and turns out it's an 11-month-old puppy. So puppy was there. <laughs> so that doesn't change the calculation nope. though there? Okay. Uh, Katie in Greece would like to know how to get her one-year-old dog to stop jumping on people. That's, again, a really, really common thing. And dogs jump because they want to get your attention. So even if you're saying no or you're pushing them off or you're saying down, um, that's attention. So that's still feeding into that behavior and reinforcing it. So you want to try to cut off all attention for jumping. So even walk away and ignore the puppy. And then really heavily reinforce polite greeting behavior, like keeping all four paws on the ground. So if it's visitors coming in, you might put some treats outside your door so that visitors can grab a couple cookies as they walk in and then prompt your dog to sit, give them the cookies. And so you're replacing the jumping behavior with a different behavior. That's the sounds like the hardest thing there is any attention to a dog in that circumstance might be better than being ignored. Right. Exactly. So when we would say no, all that, well, that's, that's at least some attention. Yeah. Okay. So try to ignore and then reinforce on the positive side. Um, and one more writ written question, then we'll grab a phone call. Stephen Henrietta hang there. Allison in Rochester says, my cat is really huge. He is very big naturally. He's a Norwegian <laughs> forest cat. Oh. What is a Norwegian forest cat, by the way? That's a real thing? Yeah. Is that like cats that live in the forest to eat other cats? So they're huge. <laughs> so he's a Norwegian forest cat, but he is, and this is Allison's words, fat. How do I get him to exercise more? He sometimes likes the laser toy or a wrestling match with one of our corgis, but these are not daily occurrences, and it's hard to motivate him. His favorite uh, thing to do is absolutely nothing. I'll start with Dr. Sampson on this. First of all, when it comes to cats, and indoor cats are going to weigh a little bit more, but it does sound like medically this could be a problem. It could be. It's all a matter of, you know, running blood work, seeing if there's any underlying issues. At the same time, it's uh, a matter of how much are we feeding at home. It's, you know, if we're free feeding, they have the ability to eat as much as they want whenever they want, where you can control it by doing meal feedings, one in the morning, one at night type thing. Uh, but it's all a matter of if the cat allows you to do it, because if they wake you up at 3 a.m., you know, you're probably going to get sick of that really quickly. So it's on a, you know, case-to-case -case type basis. But um, when you find those certain toys that are helping, you know, try to do them as much as you can instead of just like once every other day, once a day type thing. Is there ever a case where free feeding is a good idea? Uh... If some animals just aren't food motivated, so if they're not going to eat the meals, I mean, if you keep a certain amount of dry food out there and it's measured, it's perfectly fine to be a quote unquote free feeder. But if you just keep a hopper out there that just always refills itself, it's probably not the best idea. Okay. Uh, anything 
Anything you want to add on this question here? Sure, yeah. Um, So a couple things. I actually uh, prefer not to use a laser with cats because they can get really wound up because they never get to bite and kill it. And when cats play, it sort of mimics hunting behavior in cats. So if they don't get to finish that, sometimes they grab or kill your feet or your hands. It doesn't sound like that's (laughs) happening in this case. Um, So wand-type toys are often better um, with a little tuft of feathers on the end or like a fishing pole-type toy. And a lot of people play with their cats incorrectly. So they kind of wave it around in their face and then the cat's not that interested. But if you think about treating the toy as though it were making it act like a small animal and sort of hopping around on the ground and going behind corners, the cats often get much more interested in it. So when I do in-home cat behavior consultations, I often take a wand toy with me and they'll say, oh, my cat's not interested in the wand toy. And then after a couple of minutes, I have the cat leaping in the air. So a lot of it is about how you're moving the toy around in the environment. Um, And there are a lot of really great puzzle feeders for cats, too. So if they're, you know, eating dry food, my cats eat out of, you can get them on Amazon or you can just make them yourself with, like, cardboard tubes. You know, it can be as easy as, like, putting the kibble in a little cup that they have to reach in and grab it out of, just something that makes them have a little bit more mental or cognitive enrichment for getting that dry food. Okay. Let's get our first phone call. This is Steve and Henrietta. Go ahead, Steve. Good afternoon. My cat, um, Jasmine, uh, a rescue cat from Lollipop, uh, she's about 14 now, and her behavior has changed a little bit over the years. Um, The cats naturally just slow down, and uh, at times she uh, can be a little bit aggressive. Is there any such thing as, uh, say, catheimers, for lack of a better term? Like Alzheimer's in cats is what you're asking? Uh, Or or something like that, yeah. Okay. So in dogs it's called canine connective canine cognitive dysfunction. Um, And I don't know if there's a named disorder in cats like there is in dogs. I don't think that there is. No, I think trying to diagnose a few things in cats is just a little bit behind dogs at the moment. Right, yeah. Um, But if there are any sudden behavioral changes, especially in an older animal, my advice is go to the vet and get them checked out and make sure there's not an underlying medical condition. So in older cats, we see pain-mediated aggression sometimes. So if they have arthritis and they don't feel good anymore, then that could cause them to act aggressively. Um, and that's something that your vet could determine. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to go for it. So, I mean, it's just like you and I. Um, as we get older, you get all these aches and pains. And uh, cats are very notorious for hiding those very well. And then all of a sudden they change their attitude, and it could be just due to that pain. So trying to get uh, trying some pain meds or trying to figure out um, where that pain might be and seeing if that can alleviate it. Steve, does that help? That helps a lot. Thank you very much. You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, Steve, thanks for the phone call. It's 844-295-TALK, toll-free, 844-295-8255. On the subject of, of, of memory, you know, animals, you can train them. They, they get used to things over time. But, doctor, are we concerned that as they get older uh, that they can have memory loss? And, and yeah. even if they're not getting more aggressive, but they, they, they may simply forget uh, either the locations of things or expect expected behaviors in certain situations? Yeah, absolutely. So as your animals get older, they can have the exact same uh, degeneration of their memory, brain, and everything that we get. And so it's just uh, starting to become more and more diagnosed. There's new type of supplements you can get that can help out with that. Um, but just trying to, it's not, they're just getting older, so they're just losing it. There's things you can do for it to make them happier would be a better way to put it. But um, it's definitely becoming more and more uh, diagnosed as time goes on here. Hmm. Rebecca? 
The other thing that studies have shown to help is cognitive enrichment. So doing some of those puzzle feeder type toys with your older animals or just doing training them to do new behaviors. You know, if they have favorite activities that they're sort of haven't done in a while, like getting them re-involved in those activities. So the oldest dog I've had in a training class was 16. And I have a 14-year-old in class right now. And a dog, not a cat, a 16-year-old. Yeah, a dog, yeah. That you were training new. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she had had some training before, but they were bringing her. And the the 14-year-old in class right now is um, just coming in for fun, you know, just to have some outings. And so that's, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Mm Mm-hmm. Literally, not just a cliche. (laughs) (laughs) You're hearing Rebecca Lonis, who's Behavior and Training Manager at Lollipop Farm, the Humane Society of Greater Rochester, Dr. John Sampson, a veterinarian with Grease Animal Hospital. We're going to get our first break of the hour. We're going to come back and get more of your phone calls at 844-295-TALK. It's 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI if you're calling from Rochester, 263-9994. We're right back on Unleash the Pet Show. Coming up in our second hour, the College of Collectible Knowledge returns to Connections. Jack and Nick Wanderman, Yvonne Jordan, they're here previewing the fifth annual WXXI Antiques Appraisal event. That's happening here at WXXI Studios tomorrow, but we get a jump on that by answering your questions. You wonder, what is it that you found in your attic? Or sort of an old heirloom or an antique? You want some answers? Call us next hour. This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR-FM and HD Rochester, WEOS-FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI-FM HD2 Rochester. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. Welcome back to... Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Uh, l- let me get a, one more listener question here uh, for our, our, our veterinarian and, uh, and Rebecca Lonis, who is one of, one of the only or if not the only certified dog behavior consultant in the greater Rochester area. Is that true, by the way? That's true. Yeah, I'm the only one. There's only a handful in New York. Apparent. I, I didn't know until after I was <laughs> accepted, but there's, only, there's fewer than 200 in the world. <laughs> Wow. So. Uh, very cool. Well, um, Kat in Rochester wants to know, she says, my dog chews her hip where it seems the hair is growing in two different directions. And because of this, it's kind of sparse and wild in that spot. Should I be worried? And why does she do that? So that would be another take her to the vet and make sure there's not an underlying medical condition because there could be some kind of pain or sensation that's causing her to do that. And if that's ruled out, sometimes um, chewing or licking can be... Um, an anxiety-related behavior, which, again, can sometimes be helped with a vet appointment and talking about, um, you know, medications possibly if it's really bad to the point of Mm -hmm. self-injury. What do you say to that, Dr. Sampson? Yeah, so if the hair is growing two different directions, you never know that it could have, like, an ingrown hair type thing, type situation going on. Or if uh, we injured it in the past in sort of a neurological type thing. Um, But, yeah, I would say definitely get it checked out and see if there's anything medical that we can do first, and then you can think about doing maybe behavior stuff. All right, Kat, good luck to you with that. 
want to tell you that about what something that happened this week. The New York State Senate passed Mitchell's Law. That's a measure that would create a felony offense for those who intentionally cause serious physical injury to a police work dog or a police work horse. And the bill would also increase the penalty for killing a police animal. It would become a Class D felony. The measure now lies in the hands of the State Assembly. And WXXI's Beth Adams spoke with State Senator Catherine Young, a Republican from Cattaraugus County, who sponsored the bill in the Senate. This bill is named Mitchell's Law for a Jamestown Police Department, German Shepherd. Tell me his story. What happened to Mitchell? Well, it's a very long story, but actually it has a happy ending because Mitchell survived his injuries. But this November, Mitchell, um, by the way, is a six-year-old German Shepherd. He has worked for the Jamestown Police Department for several years and uh, has been instrumental in any uh, arrests. So in November, there was a fatal shooting. Um, a man allegedly shot his wife to death in a church parking lot in Jamestown. And following that, there was a five-day manhunt and a six-hour standoff. And Mitchell was sent in by the Jamestown Police Department. When Mitchell went in, unfortunately, the man had a knife and he stabbed Mitchell in the throat. And it went up through his throat and through his mouth, through his tongue. Uh, luckily, they were able to get him emergency surgery right away at a veterinarian, and so Mitchell survived. But he is the greatest dog. He is so sweet. He was in Albany this week for the press conference, and he is amazing. How is he doing now? He's fully recovered. They were able to stitch him up. If they hadn't gotten him to that right away, he would have bled out. Uh, but he seems perfectly great. He uh, was very engaged and very friendly. And uh, he's actually named, it's interesting because I have a friend who is Officer David Mitchell from Cruzburg, New York, near Jamestown. Several years ago, he was sitting in his uh, patrol car and he was approached and shot in the face by a drug dealer. And so he was able to survive his injuries, but the dog Mitchell is named after Officer Mitchell. Wow, it's quite a legacy there. And, and an illustration, I think, of the loyalty of these working dogs. And this bill includes horses, too. Let's not forget about them. What is the current penalty for someone who intentionally harms or kills a working dog or, or a police workhorse now? And how does it differ from what you are suggesting in, in this legislation? So a few years ago, it used to be a misdemeanor for both crimes to either injure a working police animal or to actually kill a working police animal. And in 2013, there was an effort that was uh, put forward to raise killing a police animal to a Class E felony. Um, and that was signed into law by Governor Cuomo. And that was based on uh, the Niagara County Sheriff's Office K-9 Rocky, who lost his life while tracking clues in a robbery in 2011. So they, um, they were able to increase it then. And, but last December, uh, Jamestown Police Chief Harry Snellings and handler Officer Eric Kraft came to my office, and they were very disturbed about what had happened to Mitchell. And they said that the penalty is a misdemeanor for injuring a police animal. And they wanted it raised. They said it was just the equivalent of stealing a pack of gum from the convenience store. They didn't feel that that was a strong enough deterrent or 
penalty. And so that's when I put in Mitchell's law. I know there there's also been efforts to increase penalties for people who harm or kill animals in the commission of a felony companion animals. Uh, we did a story about Kirby and Quigley's law earlier this year. Those were two dogs who were killed, I think it was in uh, Sullivan County, uh, in the commission of a, a burglary at somebody's house. And I think animal advocates... Uh, believe that the cruelty laws of New York State provide a certain base level to help protect animals and hold criminals accountable, uh, but they're in need of an overall, too. What do you think? I fully agree with that, Thomas. I think that any kind of companion animal or working dog needs to be protected. And unfortunately, we do see increased robberies um, and crime in areas around the state, especially in light of the opioid and heroin crisis. Oftentimes, people are robbing and stealing to support their habits. So we need to make sure that every animal um, that is a companion animal also is protected. And uh, they provide such valuable service. Um, and uh, several years ago, I had passed legislation to make sure companion animals were able to, and working animals were able to, for example, go on flights and things like that to uh, help the people that they're supporting. So it's a it's a great effort, and we need to do more in protecting animals. That's New York uh, State Senator Catherine Young speaking to WXXI's Beth Adams. And Senator Young says she has support for Mitchell's law in the Assembly. She thinks there's a good chance the measure is going to pass in that chamber before the end of the legislative session next month. Dr. Sampson, I think it's... Um, uh, I'm curious to know how how often, and hopefully not often, but how often, you know, you're, you're caring for animals that have been abused or mistreated, you know, whether it's right after abuse or maybe even long term. I'd like to ask you and, and certainly Rebecca if even if PTSD or if that kind of ongoing stress can impact animals, but does it impact the way you care for them? Uh, it does. So, I mean, a big thing that we're pushing for is when an animal comes in, it's trying to read how they're going to react to stuff. So if you know they're not going to like being you know, restrained in a certain way, you pick up on that and you can see which ones are a lot more skittish than others. Um, luckily, we don't see a lot of physically abused mm -hmm. animals come in, at least where we are anyway, uh, up in Greece. Um, and at Stonebridge is where they take care of a lot of the uh, police dogs. Um, but luckily, we don't see that. But you can definitely see some that either they weren't socialized when they're little or, you know, they definitely could have had a bad um, history. You just don't know. So you just take special precautions with them. Okay. And can PTSD, that kind of thing, affect animals? Yeah. The studies have shown that some dogs who've been, like, in combat situations can have PTSD-like symptoms. Um, so it's definitely something to consider. But when you're adopting a dog or even when I'm seeing dogs, sometimes you you get a dog who is acting really skittish and really fearful and you know that they've like I have training clients who I know that they've socialized the dog appropriately and they've never you know been mean to the dog or abusive to the dog at all and the dog is still somewhat skittish so there's definitely you know behavior is a complex mix of genetic tendency and experience and training and um so I never, when a dog comes into the shelter and we don't know their history, if they're skittish, I never assume that they've been abused. And I try to coach adopters not to assume that either. I, I always find it, um, I find myself, I don't know if sad's the right word, concerned for animals that, you know, are up for adoption, but, you know, they've been through a lot. Maybe they've been victims of abuse or maybe they do have that genetic disposition of just being a little more skittish. And, and 
you know, you wonder what's the easiest way to start socializing if, if you're willing to bring an animal into your home, which I think is an amazing thing if you're, if you're going to be bringing an, usually a dog or a cat who's been through a lot. But what's the easiest way to start socializing in a way that might help mitigate some of those those factors? So you always want to start small. So you don't want to uh, put the animal in a situation that's really, really scary so that they shut down. So you want to start with little things, um, you know, getting them used to you, getting them used to the household noises at your house. And anytime there's something that startles them or that's kind of scary, um, you want to pair it with something that they like. So there's a big myth out there that's really persistent that you can reinforce a fearful reaction in an animal. So Um, say the dog is startled by a loud noise and you say, oh, it's okay. Some people will say, well, you're reinforcing the fearful reaction. But in reality, if you consistently pair the scary thing with the good thing, they start to anticipate that the good thing's going to happen after they hear the scary thing, and it stops being scary. So you can actually change their emotional reaction to a scary thing by consistently pairing it with a good thing. So you're not going to reinforce the fearful reaction by... um, you know, giving them a treat or something when something like that happens. And for dogs at the shelter, um, we have a program where if there's a dog with um, higher behavioral needs, they'll actually get a free training lesson um, post-adoption. So if they have issues, they can get in with one of uh, myself or one of the trainers right away. Hmm. And I'm thinking of... Independence Day, you know, dogs that react to loud sounds, fireworks, those kinds of things. Same kind of thing. I mean, if if your animal reacts to fireworks and they're always diving under the bed, what would you do there? So you can do a gradual desensitization project where you start now and start playing sounds of fireworks or thunderstorms or whatever the noise is at a really low level. Um, And again, pair that with good things, start to increase the volume pair it with good things, play or food. Um, And if it's a really extreme reaction, that's something that we will sometimes refer to a veterinarian for because there are medications that can help alleviate that really strong phobic reaction that Mm -hmm. some dogs have. Dr. Sampson, you mentioned that it's a different animal hospital that handles police animals. Yeah, they typically go to a different one, yeah. Okay. I mean, in your career, have you seen pets, animals, the victims of of really tough abuse? I mean, I, I... I shudder to even really ask you, but have you seen some stuff like that? Luckily, no, uh, mm-hmm. for that anyway. But I have seen some definite, uh, say, fights with humans that come through emergency or come through um, a couple other ones. Uh, an animal's fight with a human. Or a human who went after another animal type thing. So had a couple that got stabbed type thing. And so oh it is God. those unfortunate things that you do see. Um, luckily it is not the norm, but I mean, things like that happen. Um, yeah. All right. So a couple more listener questions. This one's a little on the graphic side. It comes from Erin in Columbus, Ohio listening. She says, my cat has a bit of a liquidy stool and I took her to the vet, but her stool sample came back normal. We tried changing her diet, but the problem hasn't gone away. What should I try next, Dr. Sampson? So running the stool doesn't completely rule out the fact that we might have worms. So in order to rule that in or out, they have to be shedding the eggs. We don't look for worms unless they're just sitting right there for us to see. But usually we're running a microscopic exam to see if we do find eggs. So if we haven't done a general deworming, that would be a good thing to consider at this point. Um, diet changes, uh, that type of thing. Yeah, and I'm trying to rule it in. Probiotics are becoming a bigger thing to use in for uh, an everyday type of basis as well. It's all a matter if we have a food allergy, you know, 
So I was just kind of running the different tests. Okay. Marianne in North Belmore, New York, writes to the program saying, I'm nine months pregnant with the baby due next week, and I have a two-year-old golden retriever. I don't know how she will respond to the baby. What's the best way to introduce the baby to my dog? So working on a limited time here, the best way <laughs> would be, um, I try to coach people as soon as you know you're pregnant, that's when you start to get them used to it. Because you can, again, get them used to noises by playing sounds of babies crying, get everything set up for the nursery. So start using the products so that they smell different, everything looks different. You can even start carrying a baby doll around so that you can practice with your dog, um, with the baby doll, a little bit of impulse control. Um a lot of people will say, well, I brought the cap home from the hospital, and they smelled the cap, and they seem fine, and now I don't know what's going on. So it, it can take more preparation than that. But limited time window, what we're going to do um, is when the baby comes home, definitely have the dog on leash, definitely have some of the dog's favorite food or treats around, um, and we're going to reward calm behavior around the baby. So, And with kids and dogs, the biggest thing is active supervision. So we don't want any dog babysitters a la Peter Pan. Like, that's not <laughs> reality. Uh, we want to make sure if there's a dog and a kid interacting that there's an adult watching them interact. Okay. Due next week. Got yeah. a lot of homework in a short amount of time. <laughs> Good luck and congrats. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Miles and Greece, next up. Go ahead, Miles. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, one thing that, that be, I think becomes a little more prevalent in the night's weather um, is with big dogs is gastric torsion or bloat. Um, I was a military working dog handler in the Air Force many, many moons ago and unfortunately had my dog experience that and we lived through it. Um, but just, you know, just to warn your, your listeners, um, not to, you know, exercise their dogs or let them play really hard um, for a little while after they've eaten. They need to, they need to rest after they've eaten um, so that their stomach doesn't slip on them because hmm. that, can, that can be deadly. Miles, thank you. I'll let, let Dr. Sampson follow up on that. Uh, is that accurate? Is that a concern? Uh, it can be. So, I mean, nobody knows exactly why it does happen. Yeah, it can be associated with a large meal and playing afterwards. It's definitely you have your predisposed breeds that are going to be it. It's your deep-chested, like, um, Great Danes, German Shepherds, etc., boxers. So uh, you can never predict when it's going to happen. Usually it's your older animals that do. Um, it's called gastric torsion? Yeah. Uh, so twisted stomach, GDV, mm -hmm. uh, bloat is the common term that can happen because um, the stomach literally twists and then gas builds up on it and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um and so, yeah, it definitely is a medical emergency. Uh, it's not as common, say, in your 90-degree day such as yesterday, which was really, really hot, and you have your older animal and you're playing fetch and everything. You can really have heat stroke, which is a really common thing that you will see if you really work a dog hard. And then that also is an emergency because they don't sweat. They don't heat regulate like us. And so um, you definitely want to watch those 90-degree days when you're playing. But, yeah, I agree. When it's hot or when you are just got your food, you know, just lay off the exercise. Okay. Sam in Rochester next on the phone. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I just wanted to ask the doctor that uh, you see a lot of people who, uh, who've who never owned a dog before, and then they see someone with a dog, and they get all excited, and then they want to go and get a dog. And then they get the dog, and they get one that's too big for them, and it becomes overwhelming to them. 
because they don't understand all the responsibility that comes with owning a, a pet. And I always tell people, you know, if you've never owned a dog before, start with the smaller dog. Then you can learn the dog, learn to breathe, learn more about animals, and then if you want to move up, move up to a larger size. But I, I, I just wanted to know had the doctor ever ran into that where he 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 had the opportunity to counsel people about, you know, the different type pets and, you know, the responsibility that come with them, the health issues that come with them and, you know, how to take care of them. Thank you, Sam. Doctor? Yeah, I mean, whenever we have owners come in, they'll be usually forthright about, yeah, we're new owners, so we have a whole bunch of questions, and we try to coach them as much as we can. Um, We like to tell them how big a dog is going to get, what did they get into, things that could happen medically, um, you know, typically say with your uh, brachycephalic breeds, bulldogs, for example, they're going to have breathing issues, or they possibly could have breathing issues. Um, Anything along those lines for your Great Danes, do you really know that you're 100 pounds of a lady is going to be pulled around by a 200-pound dog type thing? So that's where training really comes into play. And as long as you train and uh, get that under control and get their expectations right, uh, usually it works out just fine. Knowing what to expect. By the way, if uh, if you get a pug, I think it's a pug. Pug usually, sometimes a bulldog, but pugs. Do they are they supposed to breathe like they're near death all the time? <laughs> <laughs> That's just kind of how they're built, and so it definitely isn't a normal breathing style, but it technically is normal for them. It's okay for them. Yeah, it, it sounds awful. It's I, I, <laughs> yeah, you do feel a little uh, bad for them with how they're breathing and everything. So it's just like with you having your nose clogged the entire time. Speaking of nose clog, one more quick one because mm-hmm. this because we're on the subject. It comes from Lisa in Brighton. She says my cat snores loud enough <laughs> to be bounced from the bedroom, but is that something to be concerned about? I'd say if they're snoring and they're breathing okay and they're sleeping just fine it's okay i mean it's just like you and i yeah you can have sleep apnea but it's if they're doing fine they're happy they're not breathing like that during um the day then usually it's fine if they're still having like congestion and stuff during the day then maybe they want to get checked out can animals have sleep apnea uh i mean bulldogs they have all of that and they have a really really long palate which is kind of uh with humans when they have it you can have certain surgeries done um to help out with it Hmm. Uh, good luck to you, Lisa. Let's get our, our only other break of the hour, and we're going to come back and, and talk about helping animals, uh, particularly animals uh, that are at risk. I mean, we have a, an alarming amount of animals that die in fires, most of them from smoke inhalation. We're going to talk about ways to help deal with that when we come back. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from Natural Pet Foods Company, helping people make diet choices for their pets, offering frozen and grain-free foods and foods for pets with special needs. 766 Clinton Avenue in the South Wedge, naturalpetfoodscompany.com. And All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR-FM and HD Rochester, WEOS-FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI-FM HD2 Rochester. A celebration of documentary films, food, and empowerment. The One Take Film Festival is coming to the Little Theater Thursday, May 18th to Sunday, May 21st. Tickets, trailers, and more at otff.org. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show. I'm Evan Dawson. Well, when fire crews are battling house fires, you know, unfortunately you see those those frantic scenes and sometimes you'll hear someone say, you know, uh, my baby's still inside. And sometimes what they're actually talking about 
is an animal. And uh, you understand that these are family members. That's what the assistant fire chief of the Warsaw Fire Department, Adam Richter, told our producer, Megan Mack. They hear exactly that. Pets are members of the family, and every year an estimated 40,000 to 150,000 pets die in this country in fires, most as a result of smoke inhalation. So assistant chief Richter's department is one of two local fire departments to receive pet oxygen mask kits. The donations come from Invisible Fence as part of its Project Breathe program, which aims to supply every fire station in America and Canada with pet oxygen masks. The Castile Fire Department is the other local department to receive the mask kits, and later this month, Project Breathe will donate 13 kits to American Medical Response Units to put on ambulances in Rochester and Buffalo. Now, Invisible Fence says Project Breathe has saved more than 170 pets from fires and smoke inhalation so far. Assistant Chief Richter is in studio with us now talking about those kids. Thank you for taking the time to come in to us here. No problem. Thank you for having me. What was the drive from Warsaw? How long for you here? Well, I, I work up here in Rochester, so it's about an hour uh, here, an hour back. All right, very good. Well, thank you for, for doing that. Well, were you familiar with pet oxygen masks before you received these kits? Um, very vaguely, and uh, one of the other local departments actually did receive some back in uh, April, and that's how we became aware of it, and we were able to uh, make a request uh, as well as one as Cast Isle, and that's how we were able to get those. But before that, we had never really even it never came to us. Sure. And, and you know, I'm curious to know how often you do hear about pets in, in these kind of house fire situations. I remember I'd probably been on my first job in Charleston, West Virginia for like a week. And you hear a story of, unfortunately, there's a, a home on fire and you don't want to be the guy with the microphone saying, you know, how does it feel when your house is burning? I, I'm, I've never really been that guy. But the homeowner came up to me and said, come around back. I want to show you something. And he had these... Uh, um, not German Shepherd. What are the? Oh my gosh! Not a Doberman. Not a German Shepherd. Black and brown, Rottweiler. big Rottweiler. <laughs> Thank you. My goodness, <laughs> Rottweiler puppies, and they were so cute. And he said um, they were stuck in, in the inside back part of the house. The fire department got in there, and they gave they gave these these dogs essentially mouth to mouth. I mean, they, they gave them air, I, I, oxygen of some sort. The dogs were doing great, and he was just crying. He said, I lost the house, but I felt like I saved the family. And I never forgot that story. How often are you seeing these cases where, at the very least, these homeowners are going, you know, can you save the animals? We see it on a fairly regular basis. Uh, where we live, I, I don't know if it's a difference in the population out in a, a more rural area, but we have a lot of pets, and we, we see it on a very regular basis where even if the family isn't home, the neighbor says, hey, I know that they're not home, but they have dogs or they have cats. So we, we do see it pretty regularly. And have you been in a position where, you, you know, I mean, I don't know if you, can you give oxygen? I mean, do you, do, what, what do you do? In that? Well, we can now. The masks that, that we've received are for oxygen therapy. Uh, before we would use our, our, our patient face masks that we would use, mm -hmm. if, if that were able to, uh, to, be, to be done. Unfortunately, a lot of times there's not much that we can do. And sometimes the best we can do is we open the door and They've run out, and, yeah. and we're good to go. Yeah, so so now, again, with the mask kits, are you, you training the other firefighters to use them? Yes, we'll be, uh, we'll be training all of our firefighters and our EMTs on, on their use. Uh, we've got a brochure that came from Invisible Fence along with the kits that uh, we'll be implementing as well. Okay, and, you know, what kind of animals, pets, I mean, is there a size that's too big? <clears throat> so they, each kit comes with three masks, a large, a medium, and a small. Um, according to Invisible Fence and their project, uh, they have had 
instances where fire departments were able to revive small birds and uh, smaller, like hamsters and, wow. and gerbils. Wow. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure how they did that. They may have put the entire animal into a mask, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but it has been uh, pretty effective. Wow. Okay, and and do you? Th- I mean, from what you've seen so far, you think it's going to work? I think if we have the opportunity to deploy that, it will be very effective. Yeah. Wow. I'm, Dr. Sampson, can you tell us just a little bit about, again, that how prevalent smoke inhalation, do you see it? And, and you know, e- even if an animal suffered from it, is, are there things that you can do? Yeah, oxygen is the most important thing. So we usually put them in an oxygen cage. Once again, you know, luckily it's not the most common thing we do see um, on emergency because sometimes it is bad enough where there's just nothing you can do. And even if you do get them to the vet, if the damage is done, because there's so many chemicals that are in that smoke that they're breathing in, it just really damages those lungs that sometimes it just doesn't work out in the end. But giving them oxygen is probably the best thing to do, and washing them is going to be the other thing, Give them a nice bath. For an animal that has some smoke inhalation, but you know maybe not to a fatal level, can there be permanent damage that they can still survive with, doctor? Yeah, I mean it is it's all a matter of I guess how much severe damage there is in the lungs, but definitely uh, you know maybe they're going to become asthmatic. Cats, uh, asthma is a common mm-hmm. thing, um, and dogs kind of you could I guess have the same thing technically. All right, so this is super ignorant me here, but I've never had an asthmatic uh, dog or a cat. So what do you do with an asthmatic dog or a cat? Uh, depending on how bad it is, you do. Steroids is a really good way. You can have inhalation ones. So um, cats have a very specific chamber that you can use. It's called an AeroCat. And uh, it's just like kids with asthma. You have the little puffer, except it's just not up in their face because obviously they would kind of freak out over that. Yeah, cats are really cool if you do anything around their face, right? They're, they're generally like really chill about it, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, on this subject, let me grab a phone call. This is Joel in Rochester. Go ahead, Joel. Hey, uh, wanted to say that my understanding, and the Rochester Fire Department confirmed this a number of years ago, that they were given uh, either a set or a, ser- a couple of sets of these masks that were to be carried on the the trucks. I think there's a truck or maybe a series of trucks that respond to every fire in the city. Um, and they were given to the fire department after a fire that resulted in the death of a number of dogs. And... When I contacted the fire department about this, uh, they, the communications director at the time says they were in the process of writing a press release, and it, I've never seen it, but they have confirmed that they do have them. So um, one of the things that they mentioned uh, that's really key is that everybody gets trained on how to use them and that you know general residents in, in Rochester and elsewhere and Warsaw and whoever else can also get trained in uh, animal CPR take animal CPR classes through Lollipop Farm. So, uh, so the first comment is that the fire department has them here in, in the city, and the second thing is that everybody should learn how to use them and use them effectively. Yeah, thank you, Joel. Uh, R- Rebecca, you want to just weigh in on that from the Lollipop Farm perspective, uh, I guess CPR training, good ideas to get? Yeah, we periodically offer pet first aid or CPR training, um, and you can... Keep an eye on the events section of the website to find out more about those. But, yeah, it's a great idea. Joel, thank you very much. I want to ask uh, Deputy Chief, Assistant Fire Chief of the Warsaw Fire Department, Adam Richter, who has come in, just the kind of response you do get from from people in those, in those situations where, you know, you, you have a house fire. How much appreciation have you felt from people about their animals? 
when when we're able to do that, we get a lot of appreciation. Emergency responders in general, we we run into people when they're at their their lowest point. Um, uh, somebody loses their house, they lose all their belongings, they lose family heirlooms, generations of photographs. And if we can help um, maybe lessen that blow by, by saving one of their pets, um, not only is that a big pick-me-up for them, it's a really good pick-me-up for the firefighters. Uh, my department's 100% volunteer, um, so sometimes we, we work really hard, and by the end of the day, we feel like we just didn't accomplish anything. And if we can, if we can do that, a lot of the times our own, our own staff has, has a, a much better outlook at the end of the day. Well, I just want to mention, Invisible Fence has created a website where fire departments can request pet oxygen mask kits. So you can check out invisiblefence.com slash o2. InvisibleFence.com slash O2. It's Warsaw. It's Castile. Tell me again, how did you guys end up getting them? Did you, did you request them? Yeah, our, uh, the captain of our rescue squad requested them, put in a request form, and we were able to receive uh, two kits. Um, and what's really nice about that is the fact that um, being a volunteer department, we operate off of grants and uh, donations and some taxpayer money. We don't have a very large operating budget, so these are something that we probably would not ordinarily purchase because that money would typically go to something else that we would find to be more essential, such as personal protective equipment for our members. All right, we, we have just a few minutes left here to grab a few more of your questions that have come in. David writes to us on Twitter. Uh, he says, uh, a question for Dr. Sampson. I've got a feral barn cat. Do I have to worry about ticks with her? I could never catch her for any treatments. Uh, ticks with cats, uh, typically they tolerate them really, really well. So you don't, you do have some diseases that they can get, but um, Lyme disease typically isn't one of them. Dogs, on the other hand, can get Lyme disease pretty, uh, I wouldn't say easily, but they can definitely get it. Um, other diseases are going to be more viral diseases that the cat's going to carry. Fleas are going to be a big thing that the cat can get, and so I would worry about fleas more than ticks with her. Do uh, cats handle ticks better than dogs? Uh, they just we don't know that. There's been no reported Lyme disease in cats, I would say. There's definitely some other little bugs that they can get from ticks, okay. um, definitely, but Lyme disease, you really don't see it. But cats and dogs, fleas is, is an issue, right? Definitely. Okay. And so that'd be probably my biggest thing with that cat is going to be that and some uh, viral things that they can get. I'm going to kick it to Rebecca on if David wants to try to approach her for treatments. You know, and, and as someone myself who... Uh, you know, have had, has had feral cats and seen some breakthroughs, you know, how would you, you start to try to approach uh, an animal in that kind of situation? Yeah, and to clarify, some people, when they say feral, they just mean outdoor cat. So it could be that this cat, it approaches him readily already, like maybe he touches her a little bit every now and then. Feral, a true feral cat is like a wild animal that you're not going to approach with petting, and at best you could trap them for um, examination. Um, and with either kind, whether they're just poorly socialized or under socialized or feral, you could start to feed them in a location that's a little bit more enclosed um, and then work to pair yourself with the food. So put out the really good food and just kind of hang out there for a while and read a book or something. And <laughs> <laughs> let the cat get used to you. Hey, um, tell me if my rule of thumb is, is right on this or at least my understanding on what makes a cat feral. So when, when kittens are born... If they're socialized to people, they get used to people. If they're not, they don't. Is there a cutoff point 
six weeks, eight weeks, and is it progressively worse? In other words, let's say a, a, a newborn has eight weeks of no contact and then get socialized people versus, you know, five months a year. Is there going to be a difference? So in both cats and dogs, there's in the literature critical socialization period. And it's really specific when you look for cats, it's like four to two to four to six weeks, two to six weeks sometimes. And, you know, but I've seen animals who are beyond their critical socialization period who still become socialized to humans. So you always have to remember that's a general guideline. Each animal is an individual. um, And some of them can come around when they're older. Um, but four to six weeks is what the literature says. Some, yeah, somewhere so, so in the first kittens, four to six weeks. Yeah, and puppies, it's they're it's a little bit they're older and it's longer, so you have sort of more time to socialize a puppy with humans. But again, I've seen, um, actually, the previous shelter that I worked at, Tompkins County, we had a person who had a feral dog who had at least one litter a year, and one the year that I was there, she had puppies and they weren't handled, and we got them about twelve weeks. But they turned around. So it was, hmm. you know, right at the edge of their critical socialization period. I almost never hear about feral dogs. Yeah, it's you really feral uncommon. So, so it is uncommon up here. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Okay. I mean, because I would think that cats are better at living sort of on their own than dogs would be. Is that yeah, wrong? This, or this right? dog was getting fed by a person, okay. but wouldn't, okay. couldn't be touched by a person. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let me grab one more. And Christine and Henrietta wants to know how often she should have her dog's glands expressed, Dr. Sampson. Uh, it all depends on the clinical signs. So if we are getting them done every month and we're having issues with them, then maybe you want to think about maybe changing diets because usually if you have chronic anal gland issues, it's probably related to food allergies. Um, but if you have a very perfectly healthy dog, you may never have to do it. So it all depends. And I guess... Uh you know, it's always hard for you to answer specific questions on animals you're not seeing, mm-hmm. but ask your vet, kind of st- start there. Yeah, ask your vet. I mean, they, you can, if we, when you bring in your fecal sample or anything like that, you also look at bulk. So um, the way so be- in- By the way, this is the best show of the month when we get to talk <laughs> about these issues. Very, definitely the best. Go ahead. Uh, and then we can make some uh, ideas based off of that. But um, naturally, if the stool is large enough and normal, it should express those anal glands regularly. Okay, well, just enough time to, <laughs> to get that question in. Um, hope you're all eating lunch. I want to thank our guests for the hour. Dr. John Sampson is a veterinarian with Greece Animal Hospital. Always good, Dr. Sampson. We Thanks appreciate it. Thank you. And Rebecca Lonis is a behavior and training manager at Lollipop Farm, the Humane Society of Greater Rochester. Wonderful behavioral ideas for our listeners. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. And in from Warsaw, we want to thank the Assistant Fire Chief of the Warsaw Fire Department, Adam Richter, who, by the way, pointing out, it's a volunteer department, as you said, right? It is. Thank you to you and the volunteers. You don't have to do it. I know we've got some friends and family members who do it down in Yates County, um, and thank goodness you do it. So thank thank you for what you do, and thanks for coming in today. Thank you. All right, short break. Much more Connections next.